0: Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to LifePoint Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. As we closed last week's broadcast, we were looking at Dr. Harley's three-step plan to help a man identify and meet his wife's basic needs. We looked at step one identify behaviors that build or destroy admiration, and step two, make a trade. Step three is learn new habits. Dr. Harley suggests the following method to form new habits. Number one, define the habit you want to form. Number two, create incentives for repeating the habit and disincentives for falling back into old habits. Number three, Repeat the habit until it becomes almost effortless. The primary reason people have difficulty forming habits is that they don't repeat a behavior often enough. Physiologically speaking, you have to form a new neural pathway of response that is stronger than the old one, and this takes repetition. Now be warned, your first efforts to form new habits may be disappointing. Your original plan to motivate enough repetitions may need several revisions before it really works. Remember, the key to forming a new habit is repetition, and incentives are the key to guaranteeing repetition. A mere commitment to change won't get the job done if it's not accompanied by solid incentives to repeat the new behavior long enough for it to become a habit. Let's talk some more about a man's need for admiration and how he needs his wife to be proud of him. Wives, maybe you haven't adopted this habit of intentionally admiring your husband yet. The challenge is for you to make a conscious decision to do this. Well, what should a wife do when she really begins to admire her husband? Tell him. However, this is not always as easy as it seems. You may not have developed the habit of telling your husband that you admire him. Just because you feel pride or admiration does not mean you communicate it. Teach yourself to speak those words of praise, just as you have learned any other habit. At first, it may seem awkward, but as your habit develops, it will become smoother and more spontaneous. Then you will have achieved your goal the natural admiration he's always wanted from you. Sometimes a woman fears expressing praise too soon because her husband might stop working on his behavioral change that has not yet become habitual. But Dr. Harley advises her to communicate praise as soon as she feels even a little admiration, not just as a reward for changes in his behavior towards her but as a true expression of her feelings. Remember, most men really need appreciation. They thrive on it. Don't tempt your husband to go outside your marriage for approval. He needs your appreciation. Now let me close out this topic with three questions that Dr. Harley has for her and for him. Here are the questions for her. Number one. Has the expression of admiration toward your husband been a special problem for you? Has he ever asked you to be less critical of him or encouraged you to count your blessings? Number two, do you need to develop a feeling of admiration or simply the habit of expressing your admiration? Number three, make the list of changes in your husband that would make you a more admiring wife. Divide the list into essential changes and unessential changes. If your husband made these essential changes, would you be able to show him the admiration he needs? Now, questions for him. Number one, are you aware of our need for admiration? Some men never give it a thought and don't think they need it. What evidence is there in your life that you may have a deep and basic need for your wife's praise? Number 2. How have you tried to communicate the need of admiration to your wife? How has she responded? Number 3. Make the list of changes in your wife that would make you a more admiring husband. Divide your list into essential changes and unessential changes. If your wife made these essential changes, would you be willing to make the change your wife will suggest to you? Well, now I want to shift gears and move to the topic of love. The late American journalist, Catherine Ann Porter, made the following statement. Love must be learned and learned again and again. There is no end to it. When asked, what makes a good marriage?, the answer given by nearly 90% of the population is being in love. In one study, over a 1,000 college students were asked to list the essential ingredients of love as a basis for marriage. No single item was mentioned by at least half of those responding. That seems to say, we can't agree on what love is. Or, perhaps more accurately, we don't know what love is. 500 plus years ago, Chaucer said, love is blind. Maybe he was right. But for the next few broadcasts, I want us to look at three critical questions. Number one, what is love? Number two, how does one give and receive love? And three, how can you make love last a lifetime? We'll answer these questions by exploring the anatomy of love, its parts and pieces. Next, we'll look at the unique styles of love that each person brings to a marriage. We will then explore the passages through which every couple must maneuver if they are to keep their love alive. And finally, we'll conclude with a point-by-point plan for making love last a lifetime. During our tour, I will be drawing heavily on the work of Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott. In Twelfth Night, William Shakespeare asks What is love? That question has been asked for centuries, and there still does not seem to be any definitive answer. Is love the self-seeking desire described by William Blake's poem, Love seeketh only self to please? Or is love the self-sacrificial stance described by the Apostle Paul, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things? Love seems like a strange mixture of opposites, and maybe that's why it isn't easy to pin down. According to the parrots, love includes affection and anger, excitement and boredom, stability and change, restriction and freedom. Love's ultimate paradox is two beings becoming one, yet remaining two love's paradoxical quality makes some couples question whether they are really in love robert sternberg a yale university psychologist has pioneered much of the recent research into love he developed the triangle model of love which many believe is one of the most encompassing views of love to date in his model love like a triangle has three sides passion intimacy and commitment. And in the ideal situation, this is an equilateral triangle. Each side is the same length. The biological side of the triangle is passion, the spine-tingling sensation that moves us toward romance. It starts with our hormones. I call this the hormone happiness phase. Passion is sensual and sexual, characterized by physiological arousal, and an intense desire for physical affection. Song of Songs, for example, celebrates the physical love between a man and a woman in passion-filled poetry. Chapter 1, verse 2 reads, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. But passion can also be possessive, fostering a fascination that borders on obsession. It drives couples to an extreme level of preoccupation with one another to the point where they can't bear to tear themselves apart. At this stage, other relationships aren't even considered. Sternberg explains that at first, couples experience a rapidly growing physical attraction, but after a while they incorporate the ecstasy of passion into the fuller picture of love. Pure passion is self-seeking until it is linked with intimacy. The emotional side of love's triangle is intimacy. Love without intimacy is only a hormonal illusion. The parents say that one cannot desire another person over the long haul without really knowing that person. Intimacy has a best friend or soulmate quality about it. We all want someone who knows us better than anyone else and still accepts us. And we want someone who holds nothing back from us, someone who trusts us with personal secrets. Intimacy fills our heart's deepest longings for closeness and acceptance. People who have successfully built an intimate relationship know its power and comfort, but they also know that taking the emotional risks that allow intimacy to happen isn't easy. Without careful nurturing, intimacy withers. In the book, Finding the Love of Your Life, author Neil Clark Warren identifies a lack of intimacy as the number one enemy of marriage. He goes on to say that if two people do not know each other deeply, they can never merge or bond, becoming what the Bible calls one flesh. Without intimacy, he says, They will be isolated and alone, even while living under the same roof. The fulfillment of love hinges on closeness, sharing, communication, honesty, and support. But all of these hinge on mutual understanding. Marriage provides the deepest and most radical expression of intimacy. Well, our time's gone for today. Again, I want to alert you that on Friday evening, September 15th, and Saturday morning, September 16th, I will be leading a couples conference titled Mums the Word. The conference is sponsored by Christian Living Magazine and will be held at Cloverdale Church of God. You can go to my website, mutualunderstanding.net, and on the home page, you'll see a couples conference information and registration block. Click on the click here button to download a brochure and also to register. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. org. You to know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.